on this. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. My name is Courtney Masterson, and I'm back as your host for our episode three of our chronic disease podcast. I, uh, I'm a practice transformation specialist here with Quality Insights. I work on our state contracts team in both Pennsylvania and Delaware. I have a master's in healthcare administration that I employ while working with primary care providers to improve both diabetes and hypertension outcomes in the state of Delaware. My background is as a dietitian specializing in diabetes and end-stage renal disease. Today joining us, we are lucky to have Dr. Lisa L. Deal and Dr. William P. Albanese III. Uh, we'll start with Lisa. Lisa, or Dr. Deal graduated from Virginia Tech with a bachelor's in biology with, with minors, minor degrees in Spanish and chemistry. She subsequently graduated from Johns Hopkins University with a bachelor's of science in nursing and a doctorate of pharmacy from the University of Maryland. After, after the Deal family moved to Delaware, Lisa strengthened the emergency medicine program at BB Medical Center and later implemented a population health program with Christiana Care as a pharmacist patient care manager. Lisa is currently a senior vice president of pharmacy services at Comprehensive Pharmacy Services and manages 20 inpatient pharmacies. Dr. Deal lives in Lewis, Delaware with her husband, Jared, and her two children, Hannah and Hunter. Additionally, we have Dr. William P. Albanese III, who is a board-certified board certified pharma, pharmacotherapy specialist, ooh, that's a mouthful, um, who has a wide breadth of experience in healthcare and is passionate about taking patients off medications they don't need. He is the founder and CEO of Atricare, a healthcare system providing care to residents in Sussex County. Thank you so much for, for joining us both today. Thank you. All right. So as to not waste any time, let's jump into the topic of medication adherence. So what would you both say is the topic of medication adherence in general? Um, well, I will just say for me, medication adherence is about uh, getting therapies to patients that need them and really, you know, mitigating those really catastrophic outcomes when patients don't take medications that they need. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by the Surgeon General, and he actually says, um, you know, medications don't work in patients that don't take them. And I just think that rings so true in this kind of a scenario. You know, if you're not getting the patient the medication, they're not going to mitigate the, you know, disease and they're not going to reduce those factors. And then they end up getting hospitalized or seeking additional services or having bad outcomes. So in that sense, medication adherence is a, a pretty important aspect. That's just me, though. I, I completely agree, Will, and I almost take it a step further. So when I'm reaching out to patients, I want to see, like most of the time, before we start medications, we want our patients to have diet and lifestyle modifications, whether it's to help with hypertension or diabetes. And a lot of times, I will understand if a patient's going to be adherent with medications, if they're not adherent with my recommendations for diet and lifestyle modifications. So a lot of times I'm already starting to develop an opinion about what my patient is going to do once they start medications, because we know that in developed countries, about 50% of patients are non-compliant or non-adherent to their medications, and that can lead to a lot of issues. And it's so avoidable too, right, Lisa? I mean, 
you're just not taking your medication, you know, let's fix that, right? You know, these meds were designed to be taken easily. You know, it takes a few seconds to pop one in and chase it down with some water or administer an injectable or cream or some other form of meds, right? Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I like your approach. That's really cool to start with diet and exercise. I think that's smart, but that just underlines your personality. <laughs> <laughs> but it also well, underlines our patients' personalities and their, and their motivations because maybe they don't understand because they don't feel hypertensive. They don't feel sick. They don't feel like their blood sugar is high. So they don't deem it as something that's important. So us as providers, we have to lay the foundation and the groundwork to, to let them understand that these are silent killers that you might feel fine, but, you know, six years from now you could lose a toe or a foot. So you have to really, you know, really understand where they're coming from, what their education is and kind of go from there. Such a good point. Yes, absolutely. And Lisa, as someone whose background is a dietitian, obviously, I love to hear that. Um, you know, I was the reason that I transitioned to quality insights and quality improvement was I was seeing people at the end of not taking those medications. The top two people, top two reasons that people end up on dialysis is that uncontrolled diabetes, that uncontrolled hypertension. And so if they were non-compliant before, you know, and that landed them on dialysis, you can imagine what I was trying to work with and trying to get them to take on average for a dialysis patient, 17 pills a day. Um, so if we can prevent them, you know, by from getting there, by having them take those medications for diabetes and hypertension, it's definitely, you know, very important topic. So I'm so glad that we're discussing this today. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to jump right in, um, we started a little bit on the importance of medication adherence, but what else are some factors that you of why you guys think that medication adherence is so important? Well, I will speak from kind of a practice and a business standpoint. And one of the things that I look at is the reimbursement. Um, these days we're moving away in all sectors of healthcare from a fee for service type of operation more of a quality measures type of operation and you're going to say well what does that mean well you're talking a lot of jargon uh what that means basically is it used to be that you went to the pharmacy and you just paid them you know here's 10 bucks and they give you your pills and you're like great um i think it's probably easier to understand let's see well from a physician standpoint you go to a physician hundred dollars here you go a physician sees you good to go nowadays with physicians and with pharmacies if you're not doing the extra quality improvement to help that patient get better, then you're not going to get that $100 from the insurance carrier. Uh, what's going to happen instead is you'll get a lower amount. So if I get you to quit smoking, great, you'll get more money. But if I don't get you to quit smoking, you will actually get less money. So that's the kind of quality improvement measure that we use. It also applies to a variety of other health you know, measures, not just the smoking cessation portion. We're talking about blood pressure control, weight loss and weight control. We're talking about, you know, A1Cs and diabetics and things like that. So same goes in pharmacy. Um, you can think of medication adherence as its own kind of quality measure, where if someone's not taking a medication routinely, then it's not really working to ameliorate that disease state. Therefore, the insurance carrier is gonna go, hey, why are we paying the pharmacy for this medication if the patient's not using it routinely? So uh, they're actually reimbursing them at a lower rate based upon their rating of getting patients to take medications routinely. If these pharmacies are, if they're full of patients that are non-compliant, they're not going to get reimbursed at as high a rate. So now the 
providers in the pharmacy and the pharmacies and the pharmacists have this incentive to reach out to patients, educate them, listen to their stories and hear why they're not on a medication routinely. Um, if they can identify some of the issues or barriers that that patient has to taking the medication routinely through reaching out and kind of interacting with them, then they may be able to increase compliance and then they can therefore get a higher reimbursement rate on the meds that they dispense. So from a practice standpoint, that money is really important for those pharmacists because, you know, if you're talking about a five-star system and they're dropping down to two and three stars, they're going to start losing large percentages of reimbursement. And that can be vital for a lot of businesses. I completely agree. It's gotten to the point now that even the American Heart Association has put out a white paper um, demanding that stakeholders and policymakers do something to improve medication adherence. Um, I think that they quote something like 60% of patients with um, heart disease are non-adherent with their medications, and it's costing upwards of $300 billion a year. Um, in avoidable costs um, associated with medication non-compliance and non-compliant with a physician's or a, a provider's uh, regimen or therapeutic regimen. So uh, this is something that is avoidable that Will already alluded to, but now we're actually seeing um, large bodies of, of providers coming together um, asking, you know, um, the government for assistance in improving the care of these patients and, and figuring out modalities to do so. I'm constantly trying to figure out modalities, Lisa. <laughs> I agree with you so much. I, you know, it, there's so many different delivery methods these days. I mean, you're looking at a lot of online pharmacies that are just delivering stuff via the mail. I think that's great. I think there should be a lot more of that. And I even think you can do it with acute medications, not just chronic ones too. We just have to start getting creative. Um, you know, we're looking to actually deliver beds via, you know, drones. Can we put it in your car trunk? You know, how do you, like, there's many different systems, lockers and grocery stores, whatever works to get the patient these medications, especially for non-controlled stuff where the risk is, you know, much lower and there's less uh, regulatory tape. You can really improve patients' lives by getting creative and trying to do different things, as you pointed out, and providers are hungry for these solutions. Absolutely. I actually, I actually just switched my own medications to my local Acme. So now I'm less concerned about having them, you know, I can collect them all at once because you know, grocery shopping every week. So, all right, if I need one this week, it's not a big deal. If I need to get one next week, not a big deal. And it's, it's just been so convenient because I was already going there. So, you know, as someone who, who lives with a chronic disease and has multiple medications, it's made my life a lot easier. In the behavioral health in the behavioral health space, we're really looking to um, do the meds to beds program, which some hospitals do in the acute care space. But in behavioral health, we found that it's even more beneficial um, having someone with schizophrenia who's got low health literacy. If we can get the medications to the bedside for them to take home and have them labeled in a way that's good for them, which could mean putting AM and PM on top of the bottle, drawing a heart on the bottle, drawing a smiley face for um, a mood stabilizer, doing things like that 
as a way to get the patient more compliant because they're going to leave with the medications in their hand as opposed to, you know, having to leave and go to a pharmacy and pick it up and deal with all of the minutia that is with, with retail pharmacy. Um, these patients really appreciate that. And I feel like they leave the hospital understanding their medications better. Not only that, Lisa, but you brought up a good point, especially with psychiatric meds. It's been a big driver for medication compliance to actually develop delivery methods that are outside the regular tablet that you have to take. I mean, look at how many injectables have come out of already oral tablets in the last couple of years because it really enhances compliance. So, you know, from a medication adherence, you're, you're keeping that patient on the medication. You know they've gotten it. And you don't have to worry about a routine um, where, you know, you're taking a tablet every morning and the onus is on the patient. It's just so much better. And I think insurance carriers are realizing that as well, which is why they're willing to pay a lot more money for an injectable because the compliance is high and it stops them from, you know, showing back up at acute care facilities for treatment. Exactly. I mean, acute care costs can cost anywhere between $1,000 and $3,000 a day, whereas a long-acting injectable usually costs the insurer about $3,000. And you think about that one injection, 3000 bucks a month versus, you know, repeated admissions that are seven to 10 days. It just makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I've heard both of you mention how medication adherence is tied to both patient and provider success. Can you speak just a little bit more on how it can affect both parties' outcomes? Well, from a patient point of view, you know, it really, I think we've already alluded to it, it it contributes to morbidity and mortality. We already talked about the patients going on dialysis because of hypertension and diabetes. But we also talk about, you know, if they're not taking preventive, preventative measures for a stroke, you know, how much of a burden is that going to be on society where a patient is going to have to be in a long-term care facility because they've lost, you know, functionality on one side of their body. So there's so many different things that can happen because of medication noncompliance. And a lot of times the patients don't understand the adverse sequelae that can happen from having atrial fibrillation and not taking a blood thinner or not regulating their um, blood glucose or their blood pressure. So that morbidity and mortality. And then if if you're not taking a medication, you're just not going to see benefit. So what does a doctor do or a provider do if you're taking a med, your blood pressure doesn't go down, they're going to add something else. So then it compounds this idea of polypharmacy and which always leads to more adverse drug reactions. Um, So by improving compliance, we're going to decrease medications, simplify the regimen and make these patients feel better. We just got to make sure that we are educating towards that and letting them understand why we're doing what we're doing. Because sometimes the why is so much more important than anything else. And if they recognize that, then they can, then they start to understand how to be compliant. Yeah. And from a kind of a practice standpoint, I mean, two words, money talks, right? (laughs) So, you know, when, when they start seeing their percentage reimbursement going down, I think it really has an effect on, um, you know, it's a call to action. I think it's a wake up call for almost any practice administrator or any single clinician. Um, I will also say too, that, you know, you can actually tout that as something as a, um, you know, kind of like a quality measure for your organization. You'll see people say, oh, you know, we have five stars on Google or, you know, people love us on Facebook or like us here. I think you'll come to a point where you'll start start saying, hey, you know, we're uh, four and a half stars for compliance or, you know, this is our 
this is our actual medication adherence, you know, rating. And those are going to start coming out. I already see some of that ranking with um, ACO on the other side, which is accountable care organizations, which is the same idea. You know, we're doing quality measures for healthcare outcomes. And that's something that's going to be published. It's, you know, public information. And you're going to be able to look and say, like, hey, I want to choose this doctor or this practice based upon these outcomes. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate both perspectives. Um, Lisa, to tie back to kind of what you said, uh, I, I have a younger brother. He works in finance. So obviously a little bit different from what I do. And it was interesting talking to him when COVID, you know, when COVID was starting to settle down um, the first time in 2021, because one of the things he said to me was, well, the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, someone, someone dies, they pass away. And I, and I looked at him as someone who works in healthcare and has been in, you know, in ICU and dialysis. And I said, no, no, it's not. That is absolutely not the worst thing that can happen to somebody. You know, as you said, someone has a stroke, they lose all their autonomy, all their ability to take care of themselves. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like for the general population, there's just this lack of understanding of what can happen from ignoring, you know, warning signs, from not taking medications as prescribed, and that there just seems to be a lot of barriers between our understanding and the general population's understanding. So if you guys could both touch on, you know, what some of those barriers you've seen, what some of them you've experienced with patients and with the general population. Sure. Um, yeah. So one of the, so, you know, you're a patient, you need to get a medication filled or you need to stay on it. Um, one of the biggest barriers right now is just access to providers. We're finding that it's really hard for patients to get a hold of us um, in a timely manner. And it's not always, you know, our fault or their fault. It's just a matter of ships passing in the night. Um, medical practices are pretty strained, especially after the pandemic. We've got a drop off in providers. Um, there's a lot of exodus from the healthcare industry. So for us, it's really hard to actually be there for the patients. We're working hard to do that. We're kind of leveraging technology and I'll encourage patients to use some of the options that their practices have available, whether it's phone, text, portal messages are a big thing. You know, they've gone up almost 300 percent since uh, 2020, where the use is, you know, a lot of people are adopting that and becoming familiar with it. The portal access is becoming more streamlined as well. Um, our practice uses Athena for their EMR. And with Athena, Athena just rolled out a app on the iPhone, uh, I think it was last week. But what it does is it allows patients to open up an app and instantly send a message to their provider. So that's a really you know, powerful communication tool that can get answers and access right away to increase compliance. Because right now, you're going to see a lot of patients, um, you know, especially ones that are newer on medications that are struggling with you know, getting used to that lifestyle change and trying to get healthy. They may run out of medication, um, you know, the day of, and then they need help refilling it right away, which is difficult to do, especially for not just for the practice, but for the patient, because then you have to run to the pharmacy and pick it up. There's multiple steps involved, and each of them has a lot of regulation and regulatory steps in it. So with medication adherence, it really just is about being aware of what your schedule is being aware of how your practice answers and responds to requests for those medications and knowing how to use those kinds of avenues to get what you need and stay healthy and stay compliant. And from a patient perspective, I feel like we really need to start to streamline um, the complexity of 
the treatments. So can we get a combination pill uh, that will reduce the number, the pill burden that the patient is experiencing? There's a lot more combination pills that are becoming generic and a lot cheaper than back in the day. Um, so that's something that we can do. I think that the complexity of treatment as, as medical professionals, we don't think that most regimens are complex, but to somebody who has to take more than one pill a day, it can be very daunting. And so how can we streamline that? I think that's the social determinants of health or something that is a big buzzword these days, but it's also something that's super tied into medication adherence. You know, um, if they have poor socioeconomic levels, if they're illiterate or unemployed, they're not going to deem their uh, medication as something that's important. Do I want to pay for my medication or do I want to put food on the table for my family? So we have to think of ways that we can treat those patients. I see providers day in and day out who are prescribing these expensive medications for patients who don't have the money. So how can we give them the best care at the least cost? And does that include coupons? Does that include different types of of programs um, that we can enroll these patients in. There's so many different avenues that we can take um, to get these patients their medication. Um, uh, kind of what Will was saying about not being able to get medications, maybe they can't get it from the prescription from their prescriber, but what we're seeing in our area is that pharmacies are closing. All of a sudden they have closed at six o'clock when they're normally a 24 hour um, store. They're closed on the weekends when they've always been open. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, to their closures. And that can be very frustrating for patients. And then sometimes they don't remember to go back and get the medications. So I think we have to think of not only social determinants of health, but think about the medication regimen and how complex it is and how can we streamline it and then really help the patient, you know, tackle this, this, this pharmacy closure issue that we're having in our community and how can they get their meds? And like Will was kind of alluding to, can you use some kind of mail order service? Is there a way for it to be delivered to your house without having to go to the pharmacy? So there's a lot of different avenues we can take to improve, improve medication um, compliance and just delivering um, to the patient. So. And Lisa, you touched on one of my favorite topics too, which is, you know, streamlining medication delivery and, and the regimen of meds that patients are taking. One of the things I think you and I both are passionate about this is actually taking patients off meds they don't need. Um, you know, so many people come up to us and go, hey, I'm on 12 different medications. And you go, oh, well, you know, what are those meds? And you start going through the list and you just realize that there are a litany of medications that are still present in their pillbox that they don't really have an indication for taking. Um, and it's not because, you know, they're doing a bad job or they're not compliant or anything like that. It's just because they don't know or they haven't been able to really drill down and have those conversations. That's one of the places where the pharmacist is of paramount importance because they can look at the meds, talk to the patient, follow up with, say, a PPI or, you know, some sort of acid reducer for the stomach or, you know, there's a variety of different things or even if they're on aspirin for primary prevention still, of cardiac disease, there's so many different things where you can say, hey, you're taking a med that's causing you side effects, it's causing you risk factors, it's costing you money, why don't we take you off that? And that's one, two, three less pills you have to take a day. That's huge for patients. So getting them off meds that aren't needed is just a big contribution to that um, burden of adherence. Absolutely. And I saw that, saw that in my dialysis days, you know, one of the major pill contributors for dialysis patients is phosphorus binders. So every time they eat, they have to take these pills. 
And there, there was, you know, depending on what medication they were on is whether or not they needed one pill per meal, or sometimes they would be, you know, if the provider thought that they were not getting what they needed for coverage, they would be on four pills per meal per day. So if they're eating three meals, like we hope they do, they may be taking 12 pills a day. Well, what are the chances they're actually taking those 12 pills a day? In my experience, very low. And so for those medication, for those medications, those phosphorus binders, timing was very important. And while I worked with some great providers, they I didn't feel like they expressed adequately enough that the timing was just as important as taking them. Um, you know, I had patients they're like, oh, I take about 30 minutes after I eat. Well, the entire point is to be taken during the meal. So it's it, I think yeah. it, there's a lot of factors going in there. Um but we, we've touched a lot on, you know, medicate different parts of medication adherence in this, in this short podcast. So what is, you know, kind of your one last uh, piece of advice to providers to increase medication adherence within their practice? Um, I'll jump in and just say, I encourage both patients and providers to leverage more technology. Um, you know, it's becoming more available every day. It's just a matter of finding those things. And there's always going to be pushback with new implementation of things. But I find that if you kind of encourage it, get people over that initial hump, they really start going, you can really increase efficiencies and you can really drive better outcomes. And from a patient provider perspective, I really want our providers to delve into those social determinants of health and, and understand what's important to the patient so that you guys can come up with a treatment plan that is not only beneficial to the patient's health, but something that they can maintain and we will be able to get adherence. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today and to our listeners. Um, please feel free to navigate to the Quality Insights website, uh, which if you're listening to this, you're probably already on. Last year, Lisa did host a webinar on medication therapy management, which would be a good coupling with this podcast. If you have any questions on either topic, please feel free to reach out to your practice transformation specialist. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. So much. Thanks, Courtney.